Create, innovate, collaborate. Have you ever met someone and judged them based on a particular look they gave you or simply by the way they looked, only to find out you were completely wrong? Worse still, did you ever trust someone because of what they said and how they came across to you, only to find out a lot of what they said were lies? What if you could develop a set of skills that would allow you to completely understand and qualify someone just by reading their facial expressions and their traits? I know personally, it would have saved me years of heartache and millions of dollars that I've lost due to trusting people I shouldn't have. A big welcome to Beyond Ideas. I'm Brad Twynham, your host, and today we're going beyond relationships, and with me in the studio is a man who's been turned by the Herald, the mentalist meets Dr. Phil. Seen by millions on Channel 9 and 7 in Australia, as well as Fox Sports, and he's also the profiler on shows such as The Bachelor, is international profiling and communication specialist, Alan Stevens. Alan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Alan, it's great to have you on. I've been so looking forward to having you on the show as I find this idea both confronting and controversial. Before we get into talking about the specifics of profiling, can you tell us what led you into this interesting area of work? Well, probably because I was very bad at reading people in the first place. I started out uh, originally at the age of uh, 23. I transferred from Sydney to Newcastle in a role where I was put in charge of people who were older than me. My second in charge was 38 and I'm 23. So I had to get uh, them on side and get the performance of the group up. Then in my mid-30s, I joined the surf club and I thought, great, I'm the same age as everybody else now. But uh, the problem was that I'd only been there for five minutes and they'd been there since I were nippers, which they pointed out when they got me to become the club captain. Then I became the zone supervisor for three beaches. And in that, now I'm telling everybody what to do. And of course, they've got more experience than me. And then in my late 30s, my first wife left and I raised three boys on my own. So I had a four, 11 and 12 year old sons and I had to raise them. So I'd gone from business where I was the youngest to community where I had the least experience and now to family where I was totally outside, out of my depth. And so I had to actually start to learn to read people and that's where it started to come together. Many of our listeners would have seen The Mentalist or seen some other kind of spy movie in general and have a perception of what a profiler does. Is what we see on TV a reality or is it somewhat different? What, what does a profiler do? Well, on TV, we always, we have to make it entertaining so that people will actually watch the show. So there is a certain amount of truth to it, but there's also a lot of entertainment value. But a profiler is somebody who understands how another person likes to think and process, take in information, process it, and also understand how they're likely to act in certain uh, situations and also know whether they're trying to conceal something or not. And that's what a profile will do, would be looking at all that to work out exactly who that person is, both personality-wise and character-wise. Now, your type of profiling is more focused on the face and the facial features. Can you tell us why that is so important? Well, the facial uh, features tell us how somebody likes to think and process. It's their personality. The micro expressions, all expressions on the face, you have the normal expressions, you have very fast expressions, which we call micro expressions, which are as fast as a fifth of a second, down to one twenty-fifth of a second. 
and they occur when somebody says something to you or something happens around you, you'll unconsciously react to it and the face will give that away. Then the conscious mind steps in and shuts it off. That's why it's so quick. So, but at the same time, then if you pull the same expression over and over, you will actually create ridges and crevices on your face to to develop the muscles, et cetera, which now tell me how you like to think and process. And knowing that, now I know your personality. So I then put the words together the right way. I got your body language along with your facial expressions that tell me what's going on. But I know how to talk to you to start with. And then I look for that feedback from the other. So are you saying then that if you just look at body language alone, people can often fool you with their body language Mm. if they're aware. But by looking at both body language and the facial expressions Mm. in combination with each other, it's much harder to be fooled by somebody. That's right, because if you're concentrating on just keeping your body's uh, movements correct, and there's been a lot of training on that, this is how you mirror the other person, etc., the way you sit and everything goes. But now, because you're concentrating on your body, your face is going to give away the expressions. On the other hand, if you can try and control the expressions on your face, your body's going to give it away. There's too much going on for our conscious minds to cover everything in the one moment. That's why I brought the two of them together as part of the, uh, the same program. So you always look for one and you're looking for the other as well. That's, That's fascinating. Thing. So you read both people's facial features when you first meet them yep. as well as their expressions when they're talking to you? That's right. Well, see, I actually cheat. If I've, I'm, I'll go to your social media pages, your LinkedIn pages, Facebook, websites. If I can see a picture of you, I can then understand your personality from the facial features and I can put a presentation together on how I'm going to talk to you in the way that you want to be spoken to. Then when I walk in and I meet you, I can get that quick confirmation that I've read the photograph right, that it wasn't distorted in the computer or whatever. Uh, and then I then start talking to you. I'm watching for that body language and expressions. So I have to do all of it at once. I've always already prepared. As they say, champions are made in uh, preparation, not in competition. So that preparation time just gives you that power for when you walk through the door, you can build instant rapport with somebody. I'm sure there's people at home who's going to go, that's completely awesome. And there's also going to be an equally amount of people that sort of go, you know, this is just a hoax. You know, it's complete rubbish. Is it based on science? Well, it is. If you think about the facial features alone, that the ridges and crevices Well, if you say, for instance, you're lifting weights and all your listeners can do this, just do a bicep uh, curl, pulling your your arm up or your hand up towards your shoulder, curling your arm and press your fingers together as you do it. You'll feel the muscles. Now, if you do that over and over, those little uh, shapes that you're starting to develop in your muscle, they'll become more evident to everybody. And it's the same thing. We know that our neurology and our physiology are linked. So whatever we're feeling is going to be shown in our facial expressions and our body. So if you think in a particular way over and over again, like you concentrate and you pull together the muscles above your eyes and the little grooves that you'll appear there, you do that often enough, you're going to develop ridges and crevices. And all I'm doing there is actually reading the history of how you've actually responded to everything over your life. So the older you get, the more traits that we can see. We can do it in a a young child. We can pick the traits up there. But as we get older, there's even more uh, traits again that we can see. That's cool. So... I just want to, you know, for the cynics out there who are listening to this, have a little bit of fun here. So, you know, we've just met. Can you profile me? Go, just, just go for it. Okay. Well, the first thing I always look for when I meet somebody for the first time is how much space do they need? 
for your listeners, how many times have you actually walked up to somebody and they've either stepped away from you or as they've come to you, they've just invaded your space? That's because they will have missed how much space that you actually need. So some people who will need more space, it's not that they're not friendly, it's more that they're more discerning. They like to check out who's safe to be around and who's not before they become safe with somebody. And that's one of the traits I can see in your face. You like that little bit of space when you first check them out. I certainly do. I also notice that you have what I call um, the big picture view. In other words, if I'm presenting something to you, you don't want to know all the ins and outs. You'll ask what you'd want to know, but you want the big picture to start with. If I go, start talking, well, how many times have you spoken to somebody and everything's been fine, then all of a sudden they've lost interest. You've talked yourself in and out of the sale. Well, you're a big picture person, so I'm not going to go into a lot of detail. I'm going to go, well, I'll give you the big picture. I'll allow you to ask the questions that you want to ask after that. So you know that you're going to control the speed. Because if I give you too much information, you're going to try and finish my sentences and we're, you know, you're going to keep trying to move me on. And I'm going because I'm analytical, trying to tell you, well, you've got to know this, you've got to know that. I know you've got a dry sense of humour. I can see that in your face straight away. I can see by the shape of the eyebrows that uh, you put uh, dramatic appreciation into things. You express yourself outwardly really well. Whereas myself, I'm more aesthetic. It's about how it feels inside. Now, by the way, there is no right or wrong trait. I always like to point this out. Every trait has an upside and every trait has a downside. So the dramatic appreciation is a great gift for presentation, but it also means that when you're stressed, it means that you can then uh, express yourself quite openly as well. So somebody like me who is more ascetic, it's like, whoa, you know, I don't need to know all that. The trouble with the ascetic appreciation is they'll hold it back in and keep it down until they finally can't hold it any longer. They either have an outburst or they go into depression. So, but they'll always seem to be laid back. I can see that your um, uh, good verbal expression, you also have good emotional expression, so you can actually express yourself really well. Once you've got that big picture, by the way, you just want to be able to get the best way and let's get to action. Give me the best way to do it and let's get it done. Whereas some people will like to look at the, all the alternatives. You'll just go, no, no, you've already gone through the alternatives. Give me the best one and I'll get out and do it. And you're a good uh, team player as well. So if I'm presenting to you, uh, you're going to be doing something, you're going to work within the team, not just work outside the team. So how's that for a starter? That is uncanny. If my wife was standing here listening to this, she'd go tick, 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 tick. <laughs> and by the way, I think you covered everything that frustrates uh, me, her about me uh, at the same yeah. time. So you're a relationship expert, Alan, and, mm. and that's really what your business mm. is about. And being able to profile while being a super cool superpower mm. has a much deeper application in what you do. Can you tell us why this is so important, important in both business and personal relationships? Well, in personal relationships, well, just if you're looking at, say, acquiring a, a new partner or a love relationship, yeah, we're all very good at finding somebody, but how many of us actually hang on to that partner for a long time? The things that attract us are quite exciting, but usually the downside, the opposite side of that trait are the thing that then cause pressure later on. So if we understand our own traits, first of all, and therefore know what, how we like to think and process, what we want in our life, we find the partner who has that, we makes it very easy to talk to them. If we already have a partner who's got different traits, then we know how to talk to them so we can improve that relationship. If you're raising children, being able to connect with them more effectively, be able to look at them and realise the gifts that they have, 
by things like music or other traits that you can then direct them into uh, careers or hobbies and sports that will suit them. In business, being able to connect with your client because nobody does business with anybody they don't know, like and trust. And really everything's a sale. Even selling the, to your child, eat your broccoli, it's good for you. There's a sale and a half. Trying to find that uh, life partner, there's a sale because you've got to sell yourself. So everything is based on the relationships that we create. That's the foundation of everything. Without that, nothing happens. So then in business, being able to sell faster, be able to talk to the person the way they want to be spoken to so that they uh, come to the same point in their time without you either giving too short a time or too much time to it, they get their time that they require as per their personality. In building your teams, how to get people who are opposite to each other who normally don't get on to now realise the gift that the other person brings to the group and therefore the things that they love to do that you don't like doing that you can then pass to them. But knowing how to talk to them so that they want to uh, cooperate with you as well. So there's virtually no aspect in life where you can't uh, use this. I think what you're saying is so vital. Uh, you know, in my workshops that I run, mm. you know, one of the things that really freak people out is you need me to get up there and pitch something. Mm. But then when you look at it, you're constantly pitching in life. Like everything you're doing is pitching to your wife, your kids, business associates, mm. someone on the street, the shopkeeper. You are constantly pitching. It's such a vital skill. That's it. So we pitch in everything. I was just driving over here and some of the cars that uh, went past me, they're in the car, but they're still pitching. You look at them and they, how much will I duck into that space? Do I have time, etc. We're observing everybody else all the time. Can anyone learn this? Well, if I learned it, then anyone can. Because as I would said to you before, I've been through two marriages. I've had a lot of relationships. I've had business partners who have actually emptied the bank account. Um, and through all that, people go, well, but you're really good at what you do. And I go, yeah, I wasn't when I started. It was a matter of necessity. And that's why I went out and I thought, well, I'd learn this. So anybody can learn, especially if they've got me teaching them, because they also get my experience. And in fact, if I teach somebody, I expect them to be better than I am because they're going to get me plus their own experiences to add to it. I can imagine there's a lot to this in terms of what's behind it and, and learning this skill. Does it take a long time to learn? It's not so much the time it takes to learn it, but to actually apply it. So I may do a, a full course and you do it in a certain period of time, and then you go away and you practice it. Other people will do it in, they'll break it up and they'll do a little bit now and then go away and practice that, build their experience. So it always comes down to the person. It's the old story. How long's a piece of string? So I always look at the person. This again, why I need to read them. Everyone gets profiled. I understand how they like to learn. And then I suggest, well, that's the way that they actually do the course and how they can apply it. I'm sure you've met some really interesting people through your journeys. What are the most amazing experiences you've had as a profiler? Well, last uh, 2016, October there, I was invited to um, London. I was employed by Disney Films and Gillette to speak at their Star Wars launch. Gillette were raised, uh, launching a new razor called Rogue One and they'd done a joint ad with Disney Films who now own Lucasfilms. And so I was over there speaking to the journalists to explain to them the stories the face tells. And that ended up being 120 journalists and when they asked that, the only way to demonstrate it was to profile a lot of them. And so that was a three-hour uh, interview. The other things is that part what really excited me was really dealing with, with children and families. And I've had people ask me, well, you know, what about my children? 
And I had one gentleman, both his son and daughter, I profiled them. The boy was five years old who had a, um, a natural gift for music, but his father wasn't connect with him, connecting with him. Once the father understood about the music, he then uses, used music to make a connection with him. He did complain to me with a smile on his face that was now costing him money, and I went, why? And he said, well, because I'm not now down for uh, dance lessons and piano lessons. <laughs> but... Uh, his daughter was quite amazing. She was seven years old. She had some really good gifts that I could see in her face, but I could see those being a problem at school. She had the big picture view, which meant she would just run on a little bit of information. But she had this ability to pick up ideas, what I call critical perception. She could see things that other people couldn't see, and she would come up with great ideas. But because she had the big picture, would not be able to explain it properly, especially to somebody who was more analytical. And I could see at school, especially when teachers are pressed for time and everything else, that she would just be told, that won't work, go sit down. And that would affect her confidence. Well, I pointed that out to her father, plus the fact she also had a pioneering trait, so I knew she'd want to do things that others hadn't done. So at the age of eight, or just going on to eight, she wrote her her first uh, story. And that's now, she's a published author on Amazon. It was edited, uh, put up there at the same time with the pioneering trait on her eighth birthday, she became the youngest person who ever climbed the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And for a father to prove that to me, he did a testimonial video and he tagged the two of them on top of the Harbour Bridge in the middle of the night, which is absolutely magic. So knowing that the connection he's now made with his children and his daughter, he's a coach and she said to him, well, you know, why do you coach? She said, I like to help people. And he said, well... You know, what do you want to do? And she said, I want to be a coach too. Now, he's thinking when she grows up. She's thinking, no, today. And he said, well, who's your students? Who are your clients? And she said, well, the other students at school, they're all unhappy. So she wrote affirmation cards in her own words. He mass-produced them, laminated them, and she took them to school. So that's the sort of thing that really excites me. It's not so much what I do, but what people achieve when they apply what I teach them. That's an amazing story, Alan. One of the things that I've really gotten to know about you in the short conversations that we've had is your passion for mental health. Yeah. And I believe there is a personal story behind that and it's up to you whether you want to share that or not, but more importantly, the application of this to mental health. Could mm. could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, see, there's a lot of people out there who uh, are in different roles but have never experienced it. So, yeah, I will share it with you because... I only do what I've actually lived through myself or what I've, which I've been involved with with those closely around me. But when I was very young, my father died when I was three. And so I didn't have very much in the way of role models around me. I had my mother and my older sister. I never really felt like I belonged. I was bullied at school. And at nine years old, I decided I'd had enough. And so I climbed into my mother's pill cupboard. I'm glad that I was unsuccessful. Not so much that somebody caught me, but I had this realisation that I was doing something that everybody wanted and that was for them, for me to go. And I thought, why should I make them happy? They made me miserable. So I realised with that, taking that information, and then when I, um, my first wife left, I had the three boys to raise and I knew what they were going through at school. Bullying was still there as well. I now have five grandkids and nothing's changed. We know that in uh, the education system in 2012, The stats were 100 kids a year took their lives, 10 to 20 times that attempted it, 7,000 kids were going to hospital from self-harming, and one in four kids had psychological issues. Well, in 2016, 450 kids took their lives. They're not getting better at it, they're just getting more of them. We've got um, seven-year-olds now self-harming. We've got 11 to 14-year-old girls in particular, highest rate of suicide. 
about over 5% are talking about uh, committing suicide. So now we've got one in three that have got psychological issues, and that's not going to change until we introduce new things into the education. And everything is around resilience, and the best way to get resilience is to understand yourself, know the upside and the downside of your traits, so you know where your gifts are, you know the downside, so you know how your buttons get pushed and therefore why people can manipulate you. Look at that and go, right, there's nothing wrong with my traits, I just changed my environment so that my downside of my traits don't get triggered and my upside of my traits get uh, further uh, developed. And in that, you've got a child with resilience. And if they understand each other that way, they then start to talk to the other children. Last year, I taught two boys, two uh, 14-year-olds, uh, on how to read you know, part of a, um, a prize that I'd given away to one of the uh, restaurants up there. And these were two of the boys who worked there. And they did the course. At the end of it, I said to one of them, what are you using the uh, what you've learnt? And he said, well, I'm using it to profile the teachers. And I went, well, what's that doing for you? He said, well, I'm not getting into as much trouble as I did before because I know what I can get away with and what I can't get away with because I'm reading it now. And I said to the other one, what are you getting? Or how are you using it? And he said, well, I'm using it to profile the other kids and I said well what is that giving you he said oh understanding I'm understanding who they are and why they are the way they are I said and what's that giving you and he said um, patience tolerance and I went great so if you've got a child who learns this they have a better relationship with the other children the communication's improved if the teachers understand it they've got a better connection with the children if the children are happier they're learning faster so instead of trying to improve their academic levels we turn around and we improve their lives, they'll naturally want to learn more because they're happier. Because when you're miserable and you're worried about taking your life, you don't care about maths or English or anything else. It's all about getting the person resilience, understanding themselves, getting them on the right track, and then start to nurture them. Because as parents, we are neither uh, what they call uh, sculptors or carpenters. It's not up to us to mould our children. We're gardeners. We're supposed to nurture them and bring out of them their gifts. And that's what the teacher's role is as well. Not to teach them subjects, but to teach them how to think so that anything comes up, they can work their way through it. So the application to this then, and you touched on something that I'm very passionate Mm -hmm. about, which is this whole conversation of the future of education. You touched on a number of things in what you just said then. So there's clearly an application in for healthcare professionals. There's clearly an application in the business world. You're also saying that there is clearly an application within education Mm. for this skill. Exactly. Not just for the students to understand themselves a little better at the personal level, but professionally for teachers Mm. to be able to profile and understand who they're teaching to Mm. and who they're communicating with. Yeah. Well, at the moment on the recent news, I were talking about teachers now being trained to pick up mental health. Most of those teachers haven't got enough time to look for that. And a lot of them have got their own uh, mental health issues, mainly because of the system they're working in. They came in there not because of the high pay and the long hours. They became teachers because of the difference they could make. They wanted to teach and look after the children. Now they're not doing that role. They're being put under pressure. So that's not going to work. So if you introduce what I'm doing into schools, the teachers have a much better life with the children. Everything improves. So it's not extra work for them. It actually removes the issues and the problems. 
And it goes beyond that. So when those children leave and go to uh, the workplace, if they're happier, and especially if they also, because we can tell them what sort of hobbies and sports and definitely what careers will suit them. We don't tell them go do this, but we give them the job guide now and say, hey, here's some careers that may suit you. And the job guide becomes a yellow pages, not a white pages. The child takes the responsibility on themselves to actually check those out, but you're pointing them in a direction that um, can be, or it's in line with their personality. Now, they then go into a university degree, so they don't waste their hex on doing a degree and never use it, which most, a large percentage of the kids do. They actually do a degree into a work they're going to love. When they go and work into that field, if they love the work they're doing, then the employer's going to make money as well because at the moment the stats are showing that it used to be 67% in 2012 who didn't want to be at work. Now it's 87%. So that 87% of people, if they're not at their full potential, you're losing anything from about 29% down to 40% of their productivity. And if you look at your fixed costs, that's more than 50% of your actual possibility that you could be making. So have a look at what you've got in the bank right now and know that if you have these skills and you work them properly in your organisation, that could double. And that's what people don't realise. So what we end up doing, we micromanage those people because they don't want to work. So we get tired and we get exhausted. And because we micromanage them, now even more so only do what they have to do to get by. So we create problems. If you've got people who want to be there and they love the work they're doing, you know straight away you can go on holidays and the company's still going to run and not only run, it'll grow because people are doing what they love to do. Once again, you've, you've hit on something very pertinent there, which is the ability to profile your employees, see where they're happy, et cetera. Is that predominantly your engagement with corporations? Is that type of work? Yeah, with a lot of the corporations, it's been improving their sales. Had a gentleman, um, well, he wasn't actually in corporate, he was owning his own business, he's a builder, and he realised that once he, he was doing pretty good in his conversion rate, making about 50%. Once he did the course with me, the testimony that came back, he was talking about how it had gone between 80 to 90% conversion rate. So in other words, he's doing less uh, promotional work now because he's too busy out there doing the work that he's already sold. So it improved there. Other people that have done the course and then gone out and improved their sales. One gentleman who finished the course and within six weeks had made another sixty to $70,000 in sales, and that was personal coaching work. So by uh, all areas across the business, how to improve your leadership, how to then improve your sales, how to, you know, HR issues, you know, people who have got uh, workplace conflicts, how do you deal with those? It all depends on the person themselves. They come to me and say, I've got this problem. Okay, let's look at it this way. I've got that problem instead. Okay, well, let's look at that. It's the foundation of everything we do because when people said to me, what do you bring to the table? I had to turn around and say, I bring the table because everything's based on the relationships. Once you get that right, it goes everywhere. That's, I, I mean, I could not argue with that. I mean, I think not just in terms of understanding the people that you work for but qualifying people that you're selling to, people that are selling to you, mm. I think as an investor sitting across the table from a startup and, mm. and really understanding who it is that you're about to hand your money to That's and right. the chemistry behind those, mm. you know, relationship mm. that, that, that could be forged, can I work with this person, is this someone who's mm. ultimately going to be able to deliver on what they say, you're saying could be qualified mm. simply by observing and watching the individual. Exactly. So when I came back from the States from doing further training, I needed to rebrand my business. 
And so I was looking for a branding coach and I was in a room full of other coaches and I looked around, there was one woman, I went, right, she's going to be my coach. And when I went over and I spoke to her, I said, well, look, I'd like you to be my coach. She said, but you haven't spoken to me and you certainly don't know what I charge. And I went, well, your face is telling me you can actually do the work that I want you to do. I know how you're going to respond in certain circumstances, so I know what I have to do to make sure our working relationship is really uh, conducive. At the same time, I said, I'm, I'm not going to have a problem with your price. She said, but you don't know my price. I said, well, the woman over there, she actually charges more than you, and the man over there, he charges less than you. But I don't want to hire him because his face tells me he can't do the work as well as you. And she turned around and said, yep, that's exactly where their pricing sits. She's midway. And so that was my interview of her to do the work with me. Look at the face, knew that she could do the work, knew how to deal with it when any issue came up, and away we went. So you've got that in a business, and the other person might have a fantastic deal. It might be you know, really kosher, above board and everything else. You buy into it, but then you find your personalities don't match, and now you have issues. And so the focus now is on the, the relationship, not on the, uh, the deal itself in making the um, the money or whatever, the, you know, making, getting the outcome you were actually after. So we go off track. But being able to look at somebody, build that relationship, know how to talk to them, know yourself first and know how I've got to change the way I like to be spoken to to the level that they want. And it's like two parents, for instance, get on the same page with each other. They both need to change the way they talk to their child differently but both getting to the same point and talking to the child the same way. And therefore we have to know ourselves know the other person, and then know how to, uh, to speak with them and deal with them. Something I just picked up in what you said was you're in a room of people, mm. you looked across the room, and there was this person. Are you saying that a lot of what you do as a profiler, everyone has instinctually anyway? Yeah. When we were, if we go back to tribal times, we rec- well, first of all, we recognise people by their facial features. Where we go wrong with that one is you may see somebody who has done the wrong thing by you or they remind you of somebody who did the wrong thing by you in the past. What's your instinctive response to them? You don't trust them. They actually pick up that you don't trust them. They respond in the way that you suspected they would uh, respond, but you've you've created a self-fulfilling prophecy. But then we have the expressions on the face. That's how we had our survival if we couldn't recognise the expressions. Now, a lot of people have forgotten they, those, um, those skills. But you ask any young, or look at any young child, they're very good at reading the parents, the adults around them. They know how to far to push to what point is going to cause an issue and what they can get away with. But it's like any muscle. If we don't work it, it atrophies. So because we then get involved in uh, life, all the sports, relationships, school, everything else, we're focusing on all that, so we're no longer focusing on reading people. And all I, I just say to people, all I am is a personal trainer who helps you to redevelop the muscle that you always had before, but in taking you from the unconscious. Cause how many times have you actually heard someone speak? Everything's been perfect, but you've had that gut feeling something's wrong. You've picked up the nonverbal indicators, the body language, the tone of voice, the movements, etc., and you go, ooh. But you consciously you don't know why. Unconsciously you picked it up and you go, I don't know why. I just show people what it is. So I show people, okay, you picked that up. Now, oh, now I know why I picked that up. That was because of this. And they can pinpoint it. And that way it takes out the emotion of whether that person was just reminding me of somebody who wronged me in the past. It separates the two. I'm sure my daughter just looks at me all the time and she knows three minutes before I'm about to do something what I'm about to do. I think what you say just makes complete sense, you know, Mm. and and like many skills, 
as a child, we already know this. It's instinctively within That's us, it. but we, it just gets trained out of us. Exactly. So I just come along, as I said, I'm just a personal trainer who helps you to understand what it is you've already been picking up unconsciously, but putting that conscious context. Alan, this is fascinating stuff, and I sit here and reflect. I can't help but think how much easier my life would have been, both in terms of building relationships built on understanding, but also qualifying very quickly in my life who I could trust and who I couldn't. Mm. The applications for this are across the board. You've got business, health, education. Mm. I'm sure we could go Mm. on and on. Which areas are you specifically focused on in terms of bringing this to the world right now? Well, all areas will flow into each other. So I'm going to both ends. I'm looking at the uh, conflicts in the workplace at the moment. So, yes, we're around sales and things like that because that's what attracts most businesses. It's all about the money. But then I, I find that we're actually focusing then onto the relationships, which means it flows into what's going on in the organisation and the children at the front end. So education at the front end. And then the workplace, <coughs> excuse me, workplace relationships at the other end. And everything in between just seems to, uh, to mesh together. Have you spoken to the Department of Education about this? I've spoken uh, to the Department, God, oh, geez, I started this back in the um, turn of the century. Isn't that terrible? That turn of the century. That was 18 years ago. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when I use that term, I just go, oh, my God, because we talk about history. The turn of the century, that's usually 100 years ago. Yeah, yeah. But, um, uh, yeah, I keep getting the same thing from them. It's the, dep- the government, it's always it's up to the schools or up to the, uh, dep- the Department of Education. Department of Education is always up to the district um, uh, governors, etc. And for them, it's down to the principals. And the principals, we don't have money. And it always keeps going back. There are, uh, with my, what I'm doing at the moment, I'm looking at helping the kids at the front end so they don't go cr- and crash and burn. Health industry, in particular mental health, will look at it once the kids are crashed and burnt. But nobody's willing to take anything on that will be at the front end to prevent it. At the same time, a friend of mine has a, a program called eSafe which detects what's going on on all the devices. It's a program that's put on. They remove it. The system notifies the central location that it's been removed straight away. But this program picks up mental health uh, discussions of uh, suicide, bullying, child grooming, and reports it back so that things can be dealt with before we get to a problem where we lose another child. But that's not accepted either because we've always done this one thing of doing it in one way and nobody wants to take it on. So I've been uh, mainly teaching teachers overseas now. To get it into Australia, I've virtually had to go overseas. So I'm teaching uh, teachers in uh, uh, California, I've got teachers in uh, the Netherlands and about to start with Hungary as well. And hopefully with those teachers putting the programs in, this morning I may have a a school here in Australia as well, a local one that's uh, going to do some work on it. With the teachers I've worked with, I've profiled the children from their photographs, given those back to the uh, parents as um, an audio, telling them all about their traits. I've spoken to the parents and profiled them face-to-face and said, right, this is the way you like to talk, but to connect with your child, you need to talk this way. And that's changed that. The teacher's been part of this as well. The teacher's now using that to work with all the other children, also to build better relationships with the teachers that she works with that she wasn't getting on with before. And so everybody now is improving. So this one boy who was always in trouble is no longer seeing the principal every day, and his academic levels went up because he was able to study and focus and wanted to learn more when everybody was treating him the right way. And instead of them trying to get him to fit the system, they fitted him into the environment that was conducive to him. 
and it's much easier than trying to change. So they're the areas, but the education is one area I have been trying for a long time. Any schools out there that uh, want to have a talk to me, I'm happy to do that as well. I've put programs together, and the funny thing is the online programs and now some of the full programs I have have been accepted across a wide range of industries as professional uh, development programs for people to get their points they have to get each year. So it's being recognised, been a slow process, but hopefully we'll get more into education as we go. So if you're out there and you're interested in knowing more, please contact me. Alan, I really hope you are successful in getting this into the education arena. I, I know... I would want my kids to continue developing this skill through their entire lives. I mean, we say that they're good at it now. They're 18 months, 18 months and four years old. Mm. This is a skill I'd want them to continue to develop, and I'm sure there's many other parents out there who do. So I sincerely hope that teachers and principals and the Department of Education, if anyone out there is listening who has contacts in these areas, um, please, I, I think it's worth exploring mm. as educators. I really do. Alan, it's been great talking with you. Unfortunately, time's gotten away with us. Can you quickly just tell us how people can connect with you if they want more information? The quickest way is through my website, which is alanstevens.com.au, and it's Alan with one L and Stevens with a V. In the, and I always say to people, go to the success story page. Don't worry about the media pages and everything else because that's where you'll hear from other people in videos and written form of the experiences they've had across the board in mental health and in business, in families, in schools, etc. The other thing is that I make it very easy for people who want to contact me. They can send me an email through the website or by putting the website in and the forward slash and the, uh, the word call, C-A-L-L, that will take them straight to my calendar where they can then pick a time that works for them for us to have a quick chat. And then they can also find the courses, online courses I run there as well. Fantastic. Well, Alan, I hope anyone out there uh, listening connects with you. I think what you're doing is fantastic. And this is work that I believe is vital Mm. to developing anyone as a business person, an educator, a health professional, Mm. nearly any aspect of career that you choose to go into. Mm. Alan, it's been great having you on Beyond Ideas. Thanks for dropping by. Thank you very much for having me here. It's been a great pleasure.